We're going to begin in Ezekiel chapter 22, and, and we're going to read a verse here, and then a verse there, and then another verse over there, and then we'll have prayer. Let's stand together if you're able to stand. Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 30, the Bible says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I, might, or that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And I just want to call your attention there in verse 30, about the middle of the verse, the two words, the hedge. That we should make up the hedge. And so I'm really going to focus on that tonight. And we're going to come back to this passage. And I know, uh, but we're going to turn to another place. So if you have a way of marking that, it'll save you looking it up here in a moment. And if you'll mark that place in Ezekiel 22. And a matter of fact, let's just go ahead in prayer because you're going to have another place or two to mark. And I don't want to, I don't worry you out tonight. <laughs> You've had a full day. Let's have a prayer, okay? Lord, thank you for your word tonight. We pray that you'd bless as we study it. Lord, we want to take your word to heart. And I pray, oh God, tonight that the Spirit of the Lord would work in our hearts and help us, Lord, to glean from this study of your word the things you have for us and not just know it. I pray we would know it better more than that, I pray, or in addition to that, I pray that we would apply it. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks. So mark your place, if you would, in Ezekiel chapter 22. And then turn to the left to the book of Isaiah. Just a couple of books to the left. The book of Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, in verse 5, let's look at that. And now go to, Isaiah writes, and I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up, and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. Hopefully you recognize, or maybe you recognize, reading through verse 5, right in the middle of the verse, those two words, the hedge. God says, I will t I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take away the hedge thereof. Now I'm going to ask you to do something. Mark that place, if you would, in Isaiah chapter 5, because we are going to come back. And go to the book of Psalms, Psalm 80. Psalm 80 and verse... 12. Give you just a moment there. Psalm 80 and verse 12, the psalmist writes, Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? There again we see that phrase, her hedges, the word hedge. So we're going to talk tonight about the hedge, and I want to just begin by, in case you may not know, kind of explaining what the word means. Um, the hedges in the Bible days were like fences, and they were barriers uh, that protected property lines or protected different things. They were hedges, hedges, and uh, they were like fences. We would call them a fence, and often they were 
They were like a thicket. They grew up like thick brush, like shrubs. And uh, so before, before there was uh, fences, before the days of fences and barbed wire, there were hedges. And these hedges protected. They protected, and we'll see this in a moment. They would protect from, um, like if, we, if they were effective in the southern part of Missouri and Arkansas and Texas, they would be able to hedge to try to keep the, um, these wild hogs out. That's, the, that's what they would do. And they were like a thicket, and they would keep them out. Their purpose was protection. And every one of these verses have, the same, have this in common. In Psalms and in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, it's like a hedge of protection, though, but, but, it's, but it's not a physical hedge. It's a spiritual hedge. And it's to protect God's people. And you can clearly see that. We're going to go back through these passages and look at it a little closer. So when you think of hedge, think of it as a spiritual barrier, a spiritual wall that protects God's people. And it's used other places too. For instance, in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, it says, I will hedge up thy way with thorns. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hedge up your way with thorns. I'll give you another example. You'll, you'll be familiar with this one. And that's in Job chapter 1. And that's when Satan, Satan is talking to the Lord about Job. And he said this, Hast thou not made a hedge about him? You've protected him. You've protected Job. You've put a hedge around him. What's a hedge? It's like a protective wall, a barrier. So each of these passages speak about this protective wall or barrier around God's people. That's a hedge. But all of them speak not only about the hedge, but it speaks about removing the hedge. I hope you're still in Psalm 80. And look in verse 12 where it says, The psalmist says this to God, Why hast thou then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? God, he said, God, why did you break down this wall of protection? Why did you break down this hedge? Verse 13 says, the boar out of the wood, that's that feral hog. The boar out of the wood doth waste it, and the wild beast of the field doth devour it. Now, he's not talking about a physical hedge, or he's not talking about a property line being protected. He's talking about the hedge around God's people. Why'd you remove the hedge? Wouldn't it be a terrible thing to think this, that God God is putting a spiritual barrier, a spiritual protection around His people, and and then that protection be removed? That's exactly what He's talking about. That wouldn't be very vulnerable. And so all of these passages, just kind of repeat, make sure we're all on the same page. All these passages are about the hedge, about a spiritual protection around God's people, a wall. And all of them have to do with God removing the hedge. Let's read a few more verses here in Psalm 80. Look in verse 8. Thou hast brought a vine. The psalmist is talking to the Lord and he said, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Now, God's not talking about a literal, physical grapevine. He's talking about His people, Israel. You brought a vine. A vine produces fruit. You brought a vine out of Egypt, delivered them out of their Egyptian bondage, and, and planted that vine. 
And where did he plant it? There in Israel, in the land that we know of today. Look in verse 9. Thou preparest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land, these people that God planted there. The hills were covered with the shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. She sent out, talking about this vine, she sent out her boughs under the sea and her branches under the river. This, their influence was growing. They were physically growing. The population was growing. And then he says this question in verse 12, Why then? Why hast thou then broken down her hedges so that all which pass by the way do pluck her? So he's talking about this protection being removed. And what happens when this protection is removed is the vine, the people become vulnerable, vulnerable to attacks. And, and this is, you know, God uses this graphic language to help us illustrate what's actually taking place. Now in this particular psalm, in the 80th psalm, we'll see this as we look at it. The psalmist is pleading with God for mercy. He's asking God to help them, to have mercy upon them. He asks, actually asks God... Uh, and look in verse 14. Return, we beseech thee, O God of hosts. Come back to us. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. This vine that you planted, Israel, the nation. Visit this vine. And so he's asking God for help. Notice the times he asked this. Looking back up in Psalm 80 and verse 3. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. Turn us again. Now, that's important language because he's not just saying, God, you've turned away from us, but he's saying, we've turned away from you. Turn us, work in us, turn us back toward you. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine. Look in verse 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine. That means that God is looking favorably on them. Turn us again, God, and cause your face to shine, and we'll be saved. You're our salvation. If you'll come, we can be saved and then look in verse, uh, we read in verse 14 already, return we beseech thee, look down from heaven and visit this vine. But look also in verse 19. Verse 19 says, turn us again, O Lord of hosts, Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. So he's praying. Now what's, his, what's he praying about? He's praying because this vine, the protection around this vine is gone. And he's praying about it, asking God to be merciful, asking God to work. By the way, if you as a parent, if you had some inkling, some idea that somehow the spiritual protection around your family was gone, you'd think we'd be praying about that. God, would you come? God, would you help us? And so that's exactly what's happening here in Psalms. And he's asking God, and he's not just asking, let's think about this. He's not just asking God to deliver them. He's asking God to work in them. Because here's the Here's the problem. The problem isn't that God, for no reason, has just forgotten about them. The problem is God has broken down their hedges and he's allowing them to experience difficulty because of the decisions that they have made, the way that they've been living. And so included in all this is these pleas, not only about God working, but about God working in them. Look in verse 18. So will not we go back from thee. If you'll do this, we won't go back from you. We'll, we'll, not turn, we'll not go back from you. Quicken us. Quicken, bring to life. Quicken us. And we will call upon 
thy name. It's a great psalm in it. I love the psalms. And this is just a powerful, practical psalm. God, if you'll come, we will be saved. You'll deliver us. And keep, please understand, this is not just talking about salvation like we would think of in regeneration and being born again. This is the salvation of this nation. This is, this is God delivering them. So, if I were to ask the question tonight, based on what we've covered so far, what was the cause of God removing this protection? Um, what would you say it is? And I would suggest that it is God's chastisement. God was chastening them. God was correcting them because of the way they were living. And what he's, what he, the psalmist understands this. And he's, and he's really saying, we need to repent. We need to turn to God in repentance in order for God to rebuild these hedges. And that's a real, I think there's a very interesting reality to consider. It's very, again, it's very uh, common throughout the scripture. But ask, your, ask this question in your own mind. We're going to move on. You know, is it possible for me, let's just say me, is it possible that my obedience or disobedience will affect, will influence the spiritual protection in my life? And I say yes. Without hesitation, I say yes. Not only, not only would my disobedience or obedience affect the spiritual protection in my life, it's going to affect the spiritual protection of those in my home, in my family. I mean, we have an enemy. That enemy hates us. He hates what we stand for. He hates what we believe. And we can be guilty sometimes of living as though, you know, there's no real spiritual battle, but we're in a battle. The only difference in us and the enemy is he's always vigilant and he's trying to steal and kill and destroy. And we sometimes live as though we don't even have an enemy, but he hates us. He hates our kids. He wants to destroy our children. But we have, there's good news. We have a protection. That's why, that's why Satan said to God, you know that Job is serving you because you've put this protection around him. You remember, this is what the devil said, I'm paraphrasing. You remove the protection from Job and then see what he'll do. And you know what God did? He removed the protection from Job for a time of testing and trial. And Job was true to God. We thank God for that. A good example. So, let's go back now. Let's work our way back through these verses. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 5. We saw in Isaiah chapter 5 where God again is talking about removing the hedge from His people. Look in Isaiah 5. Let's just read it for verses beginning in verse 1. Beautiful language here that Isaiah gives us. Now will I sing to my beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. There it is again, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard and a very fruitful hill. It's a, it's a planted in a great place, a place to be productive. It's, it's uh, fertile. Verse 2, and he fenced it. And gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, 
and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine press therein. And he looked. He had this wine press. Why? Because the vineyard is going to produce grapes and he's going to put the grapes in the wine press and he's going to have um, grape juice galore, beautiful, tasty. And it's, notice what he says. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild grapes, sour grapes. Grapes not worth eating. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about This is not about just a physical vineyard. He's talking about his people. He's talking about his people. He said, I I planted you there that you would produce the right kind of fruit, and you're not producing the right kind of fruit. So it says in verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. You determine about this. You make a judgment about this. Verse 4, This is a kind of a rhetorical question God is asking. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. And now go to. This is God speaking. I will tell you what I'll do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be eaten up. And break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will lay it waste, it shall not be pruned nor digged. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the cloud that they rain, no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his pleasant land. And he looked for judgment, for righteousness, for doing right, judgment. But behold, oppression for righteousness, but behold a cry. He said, I look, for, I look for good grapes and I found wild grapes. I look for righteousness and judgment, but I found oppression. God wasn't finding in his people what he was looking for. So he says, I'm going to break down. In verse 5, I'm going to break down the hedge, break down the wall. And again, it's a form of chastisement. And this entire chapter kind of deals with it. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I do want to point out A few verses that really stand out to me in Isaiah chapter 5 there. Look in verse 20. Notice he says, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil, that put darkness for light, and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes, and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of Strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteous, the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, just like you start a fire and you put straw in there and it just burns it up. So their root, talking about his people, shall be as rottenness and their blossoms shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts. They don't care about God's word. They just cast it away and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. So there again, Isaiah lets us know that this hedge being taken down was a form of chastisement. It's a form of correction. Now let's go back to Ezekiel. We're working our way back to where we began. Ezekiel chapter 22. And the reason I take a little bit of time in each of these verses is to say they're so, to me, they're so in agreement with each other. They say the same thing. They present the same principles, the same sentiment. And same, that's very true in Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel, Israel was disobedient. 
And I, don't, I won't read all of this passage, but I just want to read the latter part of the chapter and just point out some things. Look in verse 18. It says, Son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. Now, dross is a word that um, most of us are familiar with. It, it's, dross is the impurities found in the pure metal, alongside the pure metal. And he says, all they are brass and tin and iron and lead in the midst of the furnace. They are even the dross of silver. God wanted them to be silver and they're like the dross, the impurities. When you read these three sections of scripture, there's a lot of things to me that stand out. But one thing that stands out is what God is looking for in his people. He wanted to produce good grapes. They're producing sour grapes. He wanted them to produce silver, and they're producing lead and brass. By the way, God has the right to want certain things from his people. I think you'd agree with that. God, you know, God has that right. We are his people. And so God is dealing with them about this. And, and when you read these verses, let's just skip over now like to verse um, 24. I just want to hurry through this for time's sake. Look in verse 24. It says, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, this is the prophet speaking to the people. Nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There's a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof. And he says the prophets are guilty of um, just mistreating God's people. Then verse 26, he talks about the priests. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. They put no difference between the holy and the profane. Between the unclean and the clean, they act like it's all the same. Nothing really right or wrong. It just it's all relative. And therefore, he says in verse the last part of verse twenty six, I'm profaned. I, profane means to take something that's sacred and make it common. God says I'm profaned among them. The priests are guilty. The prophets are guilty. Verse twenty seven. The princes are also guilty. The princes are like the political leaders, the community leaders, and. They've, they're just taking advantage of people for dishonest gain. Verse 28, he mentions the prophets again. Her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies. They're false prophets. They're saying, thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. Reminds me of an interesting thing I saw on social media. Just in the last day or two, somebody that I know from years gone by that's uh, not necessarily of the same stripe we are theologically, but he's calling out false prophets. And I was encouraged by what he was saying because he was saying how that they just say, the Lord said, the Lord said, when the Lord hadn't said that at all. That goes along in our day, and that was going on in Ezekiel's day as well. False prophets. So God is rebuking them, the princes and the priests and the prophets. And then he says in verse 29, the people. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery. So that brings us to the famous verse, verse 30. I say famous because it's the verse that's more, more familiar than all the verses probably we've looked at tonight. God says, and I sought for a man among them that should, what? Make up the hedge. So all these verses talk about this hedge, this protection, this wall, that's broken down and it's broken down as a part of God's chastisement. And because it's broken down, the enemies are coming in and assaulting and pillaging God's people. 
But now he says something a little bit different through Ezekiel. God says, I'm looking for someone who would stand in, make up the hedge. Somebody who would make up that fence. It's like you've got a wall that's got these these, uh, vulnerabilities, these weak places, these openings. And he says, I'm looking for someone who will... Looking for someone who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap. There are these gaps in there before me for the land. So God, that's an interesting concept. Not only now is he telling us that there are these hedges broken down and there are these gaps. Every time I read that, I think of uh, language that my grandfather used uh, on the farm uh, because everything was, everything where he went, it was fenced in with barbed wire, but Places that you would go through, drive through, there would be openings, and he called them the he called it the gap. He said, he said, whoever's driving, the other person had to get get the gap. That means open the fence up, let them through, close it back up. And so that's that's really what this is. I want somebody. God says I'm looking for someone who would make up the hedge and stand in the gap because the gaps are broken down. And but notice that sad commentary, the last part of verse thirty. But I found none. I couldn't find one. Anybody that would stand in the gap. Now, I really believe tonight that this hedge of protection is real today. I believe it's real. I believe there is a spiritual protection around God's people. Not just the nation of Israel, but us as believers. And and I, I believe that Well, in the Gospels, as a matter of fact, Jesus referred to this in the Gospels. I want to just hold your, just stay here in Ezekiel. I'm going to read you a few verses from the Gospel of Mark. And and again, he's talking about Israel, but it lets us know that this this terminology, this reality, this spiritual reality is not uh, extinct just because it was mentioned in the Old Testament. And this is what Jesus was speaking to people in Mark's gospel. And he said, a certain man planted a vineyard, set a hedge about it, set a hedge about it, digged a place for the wine fat, built a tower, and went out to a far country. And he sent husbandmen, he said, and they caught the husbandmen and beat him. And he sent another servant and they beat him. And he sent another and they killed him, and beating others and killing some. And um, the point he's making here is, you know, this, this still is a part of the way God talks. This is the way God's language. God, God builds these hedges of protection around people. And I, I firmly believe when God's people live in disobedience, they're compromising their spiritual protection. I believe that with all of my heart. You know, I know that, I know that there are a lot of people, whether they'll say it or not, they seem to believe that God, that God doesn't chasten His children. They seem to believe that. And you may not chasten your children, or I may not chasten my children, but I'm going to tell you, God chastens his children. And, and why does he chasten us? He chastens us because of our disobedience. He chastens us because of our failing to obey his law. And, when, and part of that chastisement is allowing things into our life. And, and, I, and I bring this up again because I just want to emphasize this if, if I as a parent, if I as a father, and if I as a husband knew that, that the decisions I was making and the way I was leading my family 
could help provide a wall of protection around them, I would want to do that. If I knew that my disobedience would cause my children to be exposed to temptations that, that may, otherwise they may not be exposed to, then I would want to, I'd want to keep my, I'd want to confess my sin and forsake my sin and get myself right and keep myself right. By the way, I think the same thing's true of churches. The devil hates us. He wants to attack us. He hates what we stand for. And, and I think especially he attacks fathers in the church and husbands in the church and the pastor, the leaders of the church. I think the devil hates what we're doing. And so, so, if a person, I think a lot of people live as though this is not even a remote possibility, and I think that's a very dangerous thing. I think it's a dangerous thing. And so this passage in Ezekiel not only tells us, gives us the pattern, it confirms the pattern we see in Isaiah, we see in Psalm 80, we see here in Ezekiel 22, but it also says that this hedge can be built up, that it can be, it can be supported that's what he's talking about in verse 30. And I, for one, I need God's protection. I, need his, I pray for his protection. And we ought to pray for that. We ought to pray for it for our families. I, I believe, in, and I, I know Israel is not American, America's not Israel, but I really believe that America uh, is, is ripe for the judgment of God. God does judge nations. He doesn't just Israel. He judges nations. You know why? Because we've turned away from God. We've turned away from His law. I don't, I don't expect, it would be very foolish for any of us to expect that the people in the world are going to believe that because they have no respect, regard for the law of God. But we ought to believe that. You cannot... Go against God and expect God to bless. We can sing God bless America as long as we want to, but why would God bless a disobedient people? And you, you, you may not say amen, but you ought to agree with that. But the same thing's true of us as Christians. I know we're, if you're saved, you're a child of God. He's your father and he, he loves you, but that does not mean that God does not want us to obey him. God expects us to obey him. God expects a certain kind of fruit from his people. So what is the answer to fixing this problem? And it's turning to God. You see this in all these other passages. Remember in Psalm 80, we're not going to turn to it, where the psalmist said, turn us again. Turn us back to you. Cause your face to shine. And, he's, and, he's, and the psalmist said this, we will not go back from you. We're not going to turn away from you. God would just work in our life. And Isaiah, Isaiah talks about him bringing forth wild grapes. Wasn't what God wanted. In Ezekiel here, it talks about how they were, should have been silver, but they were dross. We, we ought to be willing, we ought to be honest enough to look at our own lives and say, if I'm not, if I'm not producing the kind of fruit God wants, if I'm, not, if I'm not being the child of God that he wants, then I need to, I need to turn to God. I need to ask God to help. And so God is looking for people, in verse 30 here of Ezekiel 22, who will stand in the gap and make up the hedge. There are gaps. There are gaps in the hedge. There are gaps in the hedge in our country. There are gaps. I know this is not 
I say it again, this is not Israel. We're not, we're not the people of God in that sense, and nobody else will be. But I'm a firm believer that God had a role in this country being established. And there were people who established laws that would honor the Lord, and we've turned our back on Him. So what is God looking for? We want, we want to be what God wants us to be. He wants us to be a holy people. That's what God wants. He wants us to be a holy people. And he wants us to stand in the gap. That, look what it says in verse 31. Verse 30 it says, I sought it for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap between, before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, because I found none, have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way, talking about Israel, their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. Now this is, this is more than centuries in the past. We're far removed from it. But these people as a whole did not believe what these prophets said was a possibility. But I'm telling you, when Nebuchadnezzar's army came, and they started watching their women and their children being destroyed and their homes torn down. They saw that God meant what he said and said what he meant. People in our land, even Christians, live as though we have nothing to be concerned about when it comes to our nation and our freedoms and raising our families and the work of God. And I really believe we're really under the judgment of God already. And I'm not talking about the severe judgment. We're under God's judgment. When you have leaders who are supporting the rights of men to use women's restroom, et cetera, et cetera, you're under the judgment of God. When people are saying that's okay, you're under the judgment of God. And when Christians act like it's okay... I have grave concerns about believers, really. God wants his people to be holy, and God wants us to stand in the gap. He says, because they did not, in verse 31, therefore I've poured out my indignation. They're going to reap what they've sown. This ought to motivate us all, I think, to seek God. God is real. God's word is true. Because God is long-suffering does not mean that he's okay with it. Because God is forbearing with us, it doesn't mean that God is okay with it. If you can, listen, if you, let's just say a Christian has sort of lost their way spiritually. They're not really taking stewardship seriously. They're not really giving to God what he deserves. They're not witnessing. They're not sharing their faith with others. They're not giving out the gospel. They're not supporting the work of God. They're not getting, they can't even muster up enough discipline to get into this book every day and pour into the Word of God and see what, they don't even have enough discipline to spend time in the Word of God and yet they think somehow God's okay with that. I'm telling you, God is not okay with that. Saved or unsaved, God is not okay with that. Just because He has not chastened us does not mean He's not going to chasten us. 
This is not about making us serve God out of fear. It's about understanding that God lives by, by principles. God, aren't you glad that God gives us this pattern in the Bible that, that he, just like he did for Job, he will put walls of protection around his people. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God would do that for his people? What a wonderful thing. For our families, I believe he does that. I think Job, was, uh, Job understood that completely. You read the first chapter of Job, he understood that. The devil understood it. We ought to understand it. I wouldn't want my sin, my compromise, my disobedience to be the cause of the hedge being broken down around people that I love. You say, why are you saying this? Because if anybody ought to understand that, it ought to be this crowd right here. You know what God says? I want somebody to stand in the gap. We, we have a tendency to think that the only way to address the disobedience that's around us, even in our own families, even in our own, among our friends, is for them to get right. And that would be a great help, wouldn't it? But you know what God said? There's something we can do. We can stand in the gap, make up the hedge between them for the land. God's just looking for people. That's what that says. God's looking for people. And so tonight, I just want to end this Bible study. I just want to emphasize this matter of the hedge tonight. But I want to conclude this Bible study by asking us, those of us who are here, and maybe you don't believe this. Maybe you think this is not true. Maybe you think it's just sort of a, I've failed to interpret it properly and it really means nothing to us. I know that's possible. Maybe you think that. I don't believe that. But if you believe it, then we ought to say, Lord, I want to I be a part of standing in the gap and making up the hedge. I want to be a part of praying for our nation, praying for our community, praying for my own family, praying for... This protection, if I'm doing something that would cause my children to be exposed, vulnerable to attacks, it'd be an easy thing. It would be a minor thing to think that our children might be attacked by some wild boar, like the Bible says. But that'd be nothing like being attacked by the devil, and Right? Right. So let's spend some time tonight just praying. Either right there at your seat or here at this altar. Let's just spend a little time tonight praying and saying, Lord, help me. If I'm, number one, if I'm the cause of the gap being broken down, if I'm the cause of the hedge being broken down, then I want to, I want to get my heart right. The psalmist prayed it numerous times, turn us, so turn us. Oh God, make your face to shine upon us and we'll be saved. That's a good prayer to pray. Turn us, oh God. That's what I, that's how I feel tonight. Turn us. Let's pray together, all right? While our heads are bowed and folks are praying tonight. There's some really important 
truths to me in this passage. The first one is that God does protect us. The second one is that God can even use us as His children to help support and strengthen the protection that's around us. God also makes it clear that our disobedience can be the cause of the protection being weakened. I believe we're seeing that all around us. Our fathers, we pray this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us the Bible as a source of encouragement, a source of hope, a source of help. And Father, I pray tonight that There are areas where our negligence, our, as Ezekiel wrote, our profaneness has resulted in weakening the protection we have around us. God, help us. Help us to be discerning about what's right and wrong, what's holy and profane. Help us to be discerning about what your, what your desire is for us. God, if you've planted us that we might produce good fruit and we're not producing good fruit, Lord, help us to be able to see that and make adjustments in our own lives. And our, I pray it for all of us. I pray it especially for leaders, moms and dads and spiritual leaders in the church, but for all of us. God, help us to take our role seriously, I pray. And Father, we really feel that we're seeing the collapse of our culture in so many different respects. And you know how it crushes us, Lord. It's so heartbreaking to behold. But we don't give up, Lord. We're not throwing in the towel, but we don't want to. We want to be like. We don't want to just be caught up and become a, a casualty. Or just become like the world that's, that's um, turning its back on you. God, would you, turn, would you turn toward us and would you turn us? I pray that you would turn us as your people toward you. And turn your face toward us. God, that we could... Have your favor and your blessing in our lives. Lord, we need you. As never before, we need you. We need you in our church. We need you in our community, this world we live in. We need you in our homes. So, God, would you work? Help us to, help us, oh God, to stand in the gap, to make up the hedge. And I'm sure there, we can't see them, Lord, but I'm sure there are many gaps in the hedge. God, help us.